Hi everybody, welcome to the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome ourselves into your ear holes again. Thank you very much for letting us in there. It's nice and warm, we like it. You might want to catch a Q-tip though, it's a little bit, uh, you know. Ew, gross! I'm out of here! But, uh... We're happy to be back in touch with you guys again, and we're happy you're listening to another episode of the podcast. Uh, big news, big exciting things today. We are interviewing uh, a, a, a guest of the show who's been on before, but that's not even the cool part. He brought someone with him. Hooray! We got a two for the price of one today. I mean, it's all still free, but you know what we're talking <laughs> about. I mean, we actually got more than we bargained for out of this episode, too. And really, it was kind of neat the way it came about because I always, uh, I like to talk to uh, people that is share my interests. Obviously, that's kind of the nature of the podcast. Uh, but we talked with uh, Shiloh Prychek from New Wave Toys back in November uh, about you know the goings ons of New Wave Toys, since that's one of the things that I do collect actively. I'm looking at four, five, six pieces of their memorabilia just sitting right in front of me within easy reach. Uh, so, I mean, it is definitely something that I collect, something that I'm super into. And so, uh, you know, I reached out to him. They, they'd sent out a survey a while back talking about, uh, hey, if we were to branch into this other thing, uh, what do you guys think? And, of course, that got me thinking I should talk to him about that because I really want to talk to him about that. So I reached out and got a hold of his press team. And, and lo and behold, they responded with not only yes, but... A qualified yes by saying, yes, but we've got someone else we want to bring on the podcast, but we can't tell you who it is. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't tell me who it is? That's bullshit. I'm Super secret squirrel stuff. What's his name? Shh, secret squirrel. I know. And of course, you know, I'm like trying to play cool. Like, oh, that's really neat. Okay, yeah, I can wait. That's fine. Just let me know whenever you can. And, and over the course of like two weeks, I'm sitting here just... Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not good with secrets. I'm not good with with <laughs> with waiting or patience or any of that nonsense. And so they're like, uh, okay, well, we got a product announcement. We can announce it. And then after that, you know, we'll, we'll be okay with it. And so like a good boy, I waited. And I was off in Bend, Oregon, doing my work trip thing. And uh, apparently we got a couple of flyers in the mail. And the flyers were reproductions of a flyer that Gottlieb had sent out. Gottlieb, the uh, pinball video game company, had sent out to arcades to solicit uh, Qbert. And so I sent a message back to uh, uh, New Wave Toys press guys, and I'm like, hey, so... This uh, special guest, the secret squirrel, wouldn't have anything to do with uh, Cubert, would it? And they're like, ding, yes, ding, it ding, does. ding, 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 ding. You, you guessed it. How'd you guess it? Uh, because I just spent, you know, a couple hundred bucks buying the cabinets myself. So at least it's something I back. So I, uh, we are super excited to have uh, Mr. Warren Davis, uh, one of the creators of the arcade classic Cubert. Uh, coming onto the podcast with us. 
I have been thinking to myself all week, about the last two weeks, since, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm not going to wave the fact over, you know, folks that are listening that I do get a little insider information once in a while. Saint does share stuff with me because, you know, he is nice enough to let me tag along on this here podcast I mean, that we when call I have to. to Your Fandom. So, you know, uh, he does let me know things. So for a couple of weeks now, I've just been kind of jumping out of my skin because, uh, you know, I, I, we get to talk to Hubert's dad today. And that's obviously very exciting for me because I, I'm not only a fan of retro video games, of golden age arcade video games, but Cubert in particular looms very large in my development as a video game fan because, as we'll talk about on the podcast, it was such a unique and interesting and forward-looking and, and innovative game for the time for a lot of reasons, and it just ate so many of my laundry quarters back in the day. I just was uh, absolutely in love with this game. And um, we got to talk to uh, the person who was the driving force behind creating it in the first place. So that's beyond exciting for me. And it was, again, I mean, not to sell uh, speaking with Shiloh short. I always love talking to Shiloh. He's a wonderful guy. He puts out an amazing product. Just stunning products. And... I mean, okay. if you're looking for replica arcade cabinets, New Wave Toys is is hands down, far and away, by a country mile, the best in the game at creating these cabinets for so many reasons. And I don't want to belabor the point because of stuff we get into in the conversation. But, um, yeah, if, if you're a collector or if you're an enthusiast of, of retro arcade games, then, uh, then New Wave Toys should definitely not just be in your radar, but they should also be uh, taking some, some dollars out of your bank account. As they do to me. Um... So, uh, yeah, we got that coming up. And, of course, if you want to reach out and get in touch with us, we highly recommend that. You can reach us on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. You can also hit us up on our Gmail, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Our backup Gmail, as always, is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, and that's where you want to send your show ideas, your guest suggestions, especially if they're yourself, and your pie recipes. And, of course, you can always find the latest and greatest episode syndicated from fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. But we're also available on every fine podcast platform. You can find us on Spotify, you can find us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, every place you get fine podcasts. And boy, oh boy, uh, you're already listening to this one. But even if you weren't, this is the one I'd tell you to listen to. Absolutely, and and just I've been I've been champing at the bit to get this done, and and uh, I booked out my entire day to get this done today because I didn't want anything to interfere with it. So I'm super super excited. So, Jim, how you doing, man? You know, really. No. We Who cares how, how we are doing? Board. Nobody cares how I'm doing. Nobody cares how you're doing. They want to talk to Cubert's daddy. So. I know I did. Without further ado, let's get to the interview with Mr. Shiloh Prychek of New Wave Toys, www.newwavetoys.com, and Mr. Warren Davis, one of the creators of Cubert. Drum roll, please. All right, everybody, and so here we are today. Uh, we are interviewing our friend of the show, Shiloh Prychek, and uh, Shiloh has brought a guest along with him. Shiloh, who'd you bring for us? Well, I brought a very special guest today. He is the creator of the arcade game Cubert, Mr. Warren Davis. If we had an audience, here's where the applause would come in. (laughs) 
<laughs> I had yeah, I've been telling people all week long. Supply the applause. How's that? I've been telling people all week long. You are going to die. You'll never get what I, you never guess what I get to do on Saturday. I get to talk to Kubert's dad, and everybody that I know is just beside themselves with envy. Right. I actually I thought of putting that on my license plate. My vanity license, <laughs> Kubert's dad. Kubert's dad. I would. Uh, I I actually do have vanity plates, but it just says. Uh, if you, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica. But uh, my plates mm-hmm. say uh, yeah. "frack you." So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't even know how I got those approved, but um, yeah. So we're we're super excited to have obviously uh, Shiloh back on the program with us, and uh, Warren. We're, we're super excited to meet you, and I'm sure we have like a million and a half questions that uh, we're no doubt kind of pepper at you here. But uh, I'll try to answer at least a million. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's all we can ask. Uh, so Shiloh, I want to start with you now, because uh, 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 we're going to get to uh, the reason that we have uh, Mr. Warren Davis on our show today. But uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, first and foremost. Uh, how you been, man? Oh, I've been really good. Um, I've been very busy um, trying mm-hmm. to get products out. Um, this year has been a very, it's been a challenge. Um, I don't know how much you guys want to get into it, but uh, I don't want to be all doom and gloom either, but it has been a very challenging year this year. Um, you know, just to put a little color onto it, right now we have um, we have products in China that are just sitting, um, including 1942, which we just wrapped up production on. And uh, we're having problems actually securing containers to get the product over here. Um, we did manage to get a container um, with our USB charge machines, which we actually finished production about almost two months ago. And um, it's just absolutely bonkers right now what's going on. Um, The lead times are ridiculous and the prices are through the roof. So um, now we're coming across a new problem, which seems that a lot of carriers don't want to take any products with batteries. And this is a what's the rationale behind that well apparently um there was an explosion of i don't know if it was some power banks or battery banks or something on on a container recently and um i don't know how true it is but that is what i'm hearing and that has given a lot of these um, vessel carriers um a caution on taking any products that actually have any batteries in them, including like a small nickel hydrate battery, anything. So I'm not sure um, what's going to happen really, honestly. I mean, we're working on it as as hard as we can. We're talking to as many sources as we can, but right now it's, it's a real problem. I'm fixing to go down there. I'll go down there in a pickup truck. I'll pick them up for you and bring them back for you. We'll want to overinflate your tires dude. for that one. We can convoy and then we can get everything. <laughs> so, well, I mean, and that's one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about because uh, we know that uh, uh, not necessarily because of COVID, but I mean, I know COVID has uh, had a bit of an impact on uh, the marketplace and the business. And obviously, me and Jim, we've talked about it previously in regards to. Uh, uh, the semiconductor shortage that it caused. Uh, well, it's not necessarily the direct root cause of like the PlayStation shortages and the Xbox shortages. That's a lot of that has to do with unscrupulous post-market sellers. But mm-hmm. um, 
there definitely is a bit of a relation to uh, supply chain issues as far as the semiconductors and how it's uh, being affected by things like COVID or things like uh, that, how that ever given evergreen shipping container that got stuck in uh, blocked in the Suez, Suez Canal. Canal. Yeah. And so things like that are definitely having an impact. And, and, and we knew that that was going to be a hardship that you guys are struggling with and just kind of wanted to talk to you about how you're kind of working through it and, and, and continuing to innovate in the face of it, in spite of it almost. Well, it's not stopping us from continuing to move forward. That's for sure. Um, um, yeah, I know. Tell that to my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to stay in business, you know, we want to keep, <laughs> we want to keep progressing. So, um, you know, we, we, um, we do have plans to launch a couple more games this year. Excellent. And um, I mean, we will produce them. We'll make them. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to actually get them here, though, to give to anybody. But uh, they'll be ready. Soon. Well, thankfully, you know, New Wave Toys has built up, I think, um, enough of a, 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 a head of steam of goodwill with, with collectors and, and folks who are into the stuff that you're producing that they understand it's not your fault. They, I mean, they're, they, you know, Kevin has said a couple of times, yeah, those, uh, the, the, the charge cabinets, they're, they're on the way. I know Shiloh's having some shipping and supply chain issues, but you know what? Uh, New Wave is a great company, and I, don't, I know it's not their problem. They're working to fix it, and I, I'm happy to, uh, to, for them to give them as much time as they need to get me the stuff they need to because I know that it's... It's, it's a challenge for everybody. So, you know, I, I know nobody in this room and I'm, I'm sure that uh, nobody who's, who's a fan of your company, what is it you do is going to hold that against you. Well, I mean, it's the quality. And, yeah. and like I say, I, I back everything you guys have done. And this is one of my favorite things that you guys have done lately. This is the overhauled version of your asteroids cabinet. And I thought this was just a, such a neat version and, and kind of an interesting thing you did. And, and you want to talk a little bit about uh, what overhauled is as far as this goes? Yeah. It, well, it's a good segue into our Qbert uh, Warren Davis edition. Absolutely. So, I planned it. Almost yeah, like sure. I've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the overhaul um, concept is is basically it's, um, it's a cabinet that's been out and it's been refurbished. Um, but Parts of it that um, are still acceptable with just a tad bit of wear are left on where everything else is basically replaced um, and, and uh, updated with, um, you know, new T-molding, the blue T-molding on asteroids, for instance. Um, but uh, you'll find that there's like some um, distressing and, and coin wear around the the coin slots on the coin door on the I got to say door. my favorite thing is the cigarette burn between the first and second player <laughs> it's really cool and i mean and, and i took my told my wife when i bought this thing i'm like it's she's like it looks like it's all messed up and i'm like yeah isn't that great? She's like, why would yeah. you buy it looking all messed up? Why wouldn't you? People want buy new? jeans that were pre-torn in France, and if they're going to buy a guitar that comes out of the Fender shop that's got uh, some belt buckle wear on the back that nobody's ever going to see, you know, the, the the authenticity. That's the thing that I think has always really stood out about it, New Wave's cabinets. Is, exactly. Is that the absolute dedication to authenticity, even to the point of like putting the miniature replica Laserdisc player in the bottom of the uh, the Dragon's Lair cabinet. I mean, you guys don't miss a trick, and so being able to uh, to come out with a cabinet that's that's got a little bit of um, somebody got pissed off when they lost and they kicked the coin door. Somebody had let their smoke go too long because they were engrossed in the game and they got a cigarette burn on the top. That kind of stuff is what really sets you guys apart from anybody else who's maybe in, in trying to occupy the same space as you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. Well, we, we kind of are just sort of forging our own way. And yeah. um, really, to us, it's, it's all about um, staying as authentic to the original product as, as, as possible. Um, we understand we're never going to be able to replace that experience, but being number two is okay with us, right? <laughs> that, that's the idea. And it's sort of like giving, scratching that itch of owning an arcade machine without, you know, really having to dish out all the money and all the space and all that stuff. That's you know. key for me because, I mean, I love the arcade experience. I love collecting things like that. And uh, yeah, that's a no-go in my house. I mean, I got no space for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, like, I can I can put the replicates on my desk. They look perfect there. And I, they're charging. I got the little charge machine in between them. So I play the whole <laughs> thing. And, and, and like we said, uh, this overhaul, they, they, I, I love the idea of the machines initially. They're beautiful. Like I said last time when I talked to you, I'm only missing the one. And so uh, the hunt still continues, by the way. Uh, now, what are you missing again? I, I can't remember. Centipede. Centipede. Yeah. Centipede. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And so I lost, secondary I lost, market on that one. I lost an auction on that one recently. I was really pissed about it. But, um, How much you'll get there? For if you... They're up to like 650 now. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, this whole idea, I, I mean, I, like I said, I love the, the, the idea. The reason I like the cabinets, and I tell anybody who will listen and half the people that won't, uh, I tell them I like it because the build quality, they feel authentic, they look authentic, they play authentic. And then you started adding this wrinkle with the, the overhaul versions that just give it that extra little bit of oomph, that extra little bit of flavor. And in fact, you did that on your next cabinet. Now, the next cabinet that you have coming out is your uh, 1942 slash 1943 cabinets that are uh, awaiting shipping at the port. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm eagerly waiting for mine uh, because just like every other one now, I've got to have it. So I ordered the pair. And you did the overhaul version on the 1943, which is a more typical type of stand-up cabinet. But uh, why don't you talk about a few of the details you put on that one? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, the 1942 cabinet, first of all, is, is interesting because it's, uh, it's very mysterious. Um, it is on, uh, if you Google it, you'll find it. And it's, it's in like the clogs and um, things like that. You'll, you'll be able to find the actual 42 cabinet. Um, but it's, it's not like it was something that was widely released um, across America. And it, right. it's actually a very, um, like I said, mysterious cabinet that we had, a, we really had to dig to find um, information on it. Now the 43 cabinet is actually a dynamo cabinet. And originally 1943 from Capcom, from the factory, they did ship in that dynamo cabinet. So we already developed that cabinet with Street Fighter. So we took um, a lot of those parts and um, we used it for a 1943 overhaul edition. Um, again, we updated the, the look a little bit with the, with the yellow T-molding. Um, but this one, we actually added a security bar to the coin door too for a little bit of added authenticity. I love that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. We even uh, tooled up a miniature padlock for the bottom of the security bar, uh, which, is, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I've only uh, seen one 43 cabinet in the wild ever. There's a, uh, I live in uh, outside of Milwaukee, and there's an arcade called Galloping Ghost yeah. uh, just outside of Chicago. Yeah, and there, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 
they're the largest going arcade actually in North America. And they have um, things kind of grouped by sort of theme. They got like the fighting game row. They got like the golden age row. And then in the back there, they have the, the really, really uh, rare cabinets that they have. They have an in the hunt arcade cabinet. It's actually still got the water tank on the top of it. And that's the only place I've ever seen the 43 cabinet. So they got a lot of prototypes and a lot of one-offs and a lot of really, really difficult to find things back there. So I was super appreciative to see how, how, cause I remembered it. I took pictures of it because it was so uncommon. So I remember seeing that and then looking at the 43 cabinet, I was just as, as blown away as I always am when you guys do anything. Well, of course, 42 and 43 were largely conversion kits. Yeah. Right. When they when they went out to arcades, there that there were majority of them were conversion kits, so they'd be in centipede cabinets and asteroids cabinets and everything else, right? Right. But uh, they did do a factory run with forty three in that Dynamo cab. Um, we we know that as a fact. So we we copied like the serial numbering stickers in the back. As we you know the blurry pictures we could find, we recreated the art and stuff like that, so we could serialize all the. All Wait, you're telling me New Wave had an obsens- obsessive level of attention to detail? Get out of here, man. No. Yeah, it's a little crazy, actually. <laughs> well, well, we, we were so in love with trying to go deeper and deeper and deeper, which is actually um, really a good segue into the Warren Davis edition of the Kubrick Absolutely. Gap. Which we're so thrilled to talk about today. Yeah, so Warren's... Um, to dive into it, uh, since we're on the subject, that the the variant that Warren's um, cabinet is actually sitting in his home, and um, I think I can see it behind him. <laughs> uh, it's it's actually in front of me. I'm actually looking at. Oh, it. I'm talking about the one behind you on the desk there. The oh, actual. Oh, that's yeah, the that's prototype. That uh, the real oh, one is. Oh, is it? <laughs> nice camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has the prototype there. Give, giving us Fantastic. notes on um, what we missed and and what we need to do before we go into production. Well, if, if you're going to go into the sort of level of detail that you guys always do, it's, it's perfect to be able to go to the source and ask the horse and just, you know, to, to be able to have Warren as a resource has got to be, I mean, I'm, I'm beyond thrilled. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm a huge Hubert fan. I loved it growing up. It, I mean, to me is, um, you know, for the cute games, you know, let's well call them cute games. Hubert's the most badass because he swears. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. always what made him endeared him to me, anyways. Yeah, if I got if I can fanboy out for a second, I was I was saying this to Warren a little bit, and I don't I don't I absolutely do not mind blowing sunshine. I, I Kubert was easily my favorite of the Golden Age car- characters because of exactly what Shiloh just said. I mean, everybody else is kind of a goody two shoes and sort of like, um, you know, running away from their their adversaries. And and Kubert when when Kubert uh, or when the player Kubert never screwed up, he was perfect. But when the player screwed up. Hubert dropped the Grolics. He had the profanity floating above his head. And as a kid, I remember thinking that was just the littlest bit of naughtiness. And it just made that character so much more appealing to me because it was just like, it was a little more grown up than like some of the other guys on the same row. So that was one of the things I kind of wanted to get around to eventually asking Warren about was, was sort of when that, when that sort of attitude came into the character. Why, it's Hubert. What brings you here, neighbor? Stand by, my Cubertese is a little rusty. You know, it's funny you say that uh, attitude. My my thinking of Cubert as a character is he was more pathetic uh, than having an <laughs> attitude. Uh, I, I'm when when um, when I went up to Jeff Lee. Jeff Lee was, of course, the artist who did all the uh, the graphics and was and was my collaborator uh, as I was 
you know, working on it. And both Jeff Lee and Dave Feel, who did the sounds, we, you know, were were both very close uh, collaborators with me. Uh, the three of us pretty much worked on it together. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I needed a player character. Once, once I had a play field, uh, I, I, the next step was put a player character on it. And uh, Jeff, I went to Jeff and said, do you have any characters lying around that you're not using or that nobody's using? And, and he did. He had a whole bunch of characters that he had designed. He had pixelated them. Uh, we had them on a screen and I, I looked through a bunch. And uh, the reason I picked the character that eventually became Cubert was because he looked so pathetic. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and, and at that time, all, all we really had, uh, all, all I had programmed was a, a balls bouncing down a pyramid of cubes. Uh, there was no point to it. There was no game in mind. Uh, it's just that uh, it was a programming exercise. And then it looked so cool. People were like, Oh, you, you know, you got to do something with that. So, uh, I picked this pathetic looking um, player character because he was hopping around avoiding balls that and, you know, uh, so the attitude I don't, I, you know, came mostly just out of frustration, I think, you know, doing something different. Uh, and, and I believe it, I believe the cartoon balloon was originally Jeff's idea that, you know, when he gets hit, we put up this cartoon balloon. And then, of course, Dave Thiel came came up with the amazing uh, idea of using just random phonemes from our speech chip to create this sort of gibberish that he speaks and uh, yeah. the, it was just a sort of a match made in heaven and that was one of my favorite parts of the game like i said that like you're, you're just as frustrated as cubert at that point so obviously some of the times you're swearing in sync with him it's really great so, especially yeah. because reprogramming your brain because there were so many games at the time like the, the sort of 2d games this along with i think zaxon was one of the first times that we were looking at really uh, working with things in 3d space so with the diagonally oriented uh, uh joystick on the, on the game it was such a uh, a different way of thinking of, it was like nothing else it was like nothing else at the time uh, in, in in any arcade or in any any bar or bowling alley and you really had to think differently you had to think kind of outside the boxes if you know if you'll pardon the disgusting pun and sort of around corners to be able to orient yourself in that sort of pseudo 3d space yeah i mean i it, it uh i i had nothing to compare it against because it was really the first game that i'd ever created so uh you know i i was just trying to make something uh simple something that wasn't overly complicated uh because i didn't have programming experience in making a video game and uh, i was trying to make something that i thought was fun and once uh, you know once, once I had the pyramid and the balls bouncing down, uh, it's like, well, what do you do then? You know, you, you add a player and he has to avoid the balls. Well, what do you do after that? Well, you add somebody who has to chase him around. And uh, I mean, one of the other, you know, you mentioned the joystick. I don't know why. I, I never understood why that was controversial, because when you see the play field, that is the only logical layout for a joystick. But it just makes sense. It was so different than anything else. People had to really orient their brain around moving in. And uh, it was like almost chess. Like, yeah, what, what piece does this do? This goes two up and one over. And so getting your, your, your brain to wrap around diagonal instead of, a, you know, north, east, west, and south was such a different thing at the time. And I remember really struggling with it at first. But as soon as I got it down, it was second nature as much Cupid as I played. He gobbled so many quarters of mine back in the day. And I was happy with everyone. <laughs> well, well, you do know Cubert collects quarters. That's yes, he great. does. He he turned out to do that exact thing. Yeah, that's what this, this was interesting and an interesting way to, to to advertise as well, Shiloh. I wanted to give you credit for that. Is, oh, uh, the reproduction of the uh, the Cubert mailer from Gottlieb, which is really really cool. 
Uh, and, and just to show you that I order a lot of stuff from you guys from all of my different email addresses, I got quite a few of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I, when I say I'm a dedicated fanboy, Shiloh, trust me, it's it's not me blowing smoke up your ass. It's, but it's in, in, in this instance, I mean, that, that was a, uh, an excellent direct mail investment because. No, I, I love it. And I, and, and yeah, I want you. It's on order. I want you. <laughs> I ordered them both within 10 minutes of the announcement. <clears throat> so, I mean, wow. well, I mean, it's that it's that thing called. Have you guys heard the term FOMO? It stands no. for fear of missing out. <clears throat> and I have that. I mean, especially as I hunt for centipede, I don't want to ever be behind the eight ball missing another product or having to go to the secondary market again because those mother effers are ruthless. And so <laughs> yeah, they are. I want to make sure that I'm on the cutting edge of whatever you guys are doing. And my wife already knows. And 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 she, she gets the emails too because she's bought like, uh, she ended up buying uh, asteroids for me as a present, so now she's on the mailing list, and and so uh, she just has come to realize the fact that whenever you guys make an announcement, whenever you guys make a drop, that it's going to cost money. But uh, it's something that I wholeheartedly endorse, and, and I love to be able to support a product that not only do I believe in, and I've seen the the, the quality of the build and the the integrity that your company operates with. And just as far as, as like the supply shortages and everything else goes, and just having that open line of communication with the people who have uh, 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 supported you and backed you at this point uh, goes leaps and bounds to what, like Jim was saying, give you that, uh, that kind of goodwill, that, that uh, leeway that people are willing to give you as opposed to someone else would be like, hey, where's my damn product already, you know? Yeah, and it, we, we, you know, with the Qbert mailers, I mean, I basically blew the marketing budget for, for the year on that. <laughs> well, they're cool because they're, they're not even like, they're all textured and... Yeah, they're nice pieces of art, you know, and, and, and that's um, one of Jim, the... Jim, I'll send you one of mine. <laughs> Great, I could use it. Um, <laughs> the artwork on on the, the, the machines from... Is, is amazing right and and cubert yeah. is no exception in fact it's one of the best um examples of arcade artwork and um right down to that um reproduction of that original arcade flyer um it's just really great artwork so so why not make something that we can give back to everybody and and yeah. uh, maybe this is something that we'll do for more games and and people can start collecting these too I certainly hope so. Yeah. And, yeah. and the cool thing about new wave toys is, is once they make an announcement, once they show, uh, given the spread of the different cabinets that they've done uh, from centipede to tempest to, you know, dragon slayer and things like that, there's always some kind of uh, provenance behind it. There's always some kind of uh, uh, reasoning factor behind it. Something that makes it stand out. And when uh, they announced Qbert, I'm like, of course, Qbert. Because, I mean, there's very few arcade cabinets that you see uh, from that time frame that really just kind of capture and encapsulate the, the arcade experience, which is what Shiloh has mentioned that they try to do. And, and so, uh, I mean, you got Donkey Kong. Uh, you got, uh, I mean, Cuber. Pac-Man, I guess, you know, Pac-Man, Space Invaders. But but Cubert was one of, like, the top-tier, like, recognizable designs in and when they announced Cubert, I'm like, oh, 
of course that makes perfect that's sense. a no-brainer yeah so you know and that was that was what originally attracted me to the game was was that uh, well the attract mode obviously it just was so different than anything else i'd seen but that sort of colorful cabinet art the the, the, the primary colors and seeing like you know the uh the the, the really deep orange of the character and like the the sort of greens and purples of the enemy characters and and uh, all that stuff and then seeing how different it was that was i mean I, I i i hesitate to keep saying this because it really sounds like i'm just having a geeking out fanboy moment which i really am but i is. think hubert is probably responsible for gobbling more of my my paper route quarters than any other golden age arcade game because it was just so i mean when you get up into those upper uh levels and i was i was that's the thing like i was never great at the game which is why i gobbled so many quarters but i, I was able to get you know four or five <laughs> levels in and even like the, the 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 difficulty curve of like figuring out okay so you're working in three dimensions you're working with this this diagonal joystick but then we sort of like start messing with the gravity and then ugg and wrong way start coming in and they're calling on the opposite sides of the cubes and you got to worry about that particular angle of those guys coming at you too and and it was just such a um a subtle but but distinct learning curve and a difficulty curve that was just so easy to understand as soon as you really played it absolutely and and so now there's a lot. You talked about how this is started out as just like a. Well, I'm Warren. I'm sorry. I'm talking to you. Uh, uh, you talked about how this started off as being just like a play field, and you had to add the player character, and then you had to figure out the physics of it, and and everything like that. And you and this was all just kind of design as you go. Uh, was was a lot of the video game uh, creation back in those early days uh, just kind of like a wild west kind of attitude, just see what you can do, or. Well, I can't speak for other companies necessarily, but right. uh, at Gottlieb, uh, I would say at that period, the answer was yes. Uh, you know, we had a couple of people running the department, Howie Rubin and Ron Waxman. Ron was the VP of engineering, Howie was the VP of business development, and they really uh, well, for one thing, they protected us from upper management. We, we were actually in a, in a separate <laughs> facility. We were, we were about eight miles from the main pinball plant, uh, and we were working basically on our own. And the environment, when I started there, was very much like a think tank, kind of a very loose, bit, you know, big open workspace. Nobody had, we didn't even have cubicles. We were just all in a big open area. Um, and... Uh, and and they basically said when you were hired, they basically said, just make a game. That was, you know, no, there was no real oversight. It was just like, you know, figure out what the hardware does and then make us a game. Uh, and of course, Qbert, if you know the history, was uh, pretty much the, th the third game developed uh, in their in-house uh, department because they, uh, they released a couple of, they licensed a couple of games from Japan uh, in the late 1970s and, uh, and put those out. And then the first sort of in-house game was Reactor, which uh, came out while I was developing Qbert. The second in-house game was called, uh, well, it went by many names. Uh, I call it Pro Vidguard Argus because it's, it was Protector, <laughs> then Video Man, then Guardian, and then Argus. <laughs> and, and I did a little bit of work on that to help the programmer out just to sort of get me up to speed because I was brand new. Um, and, and that never got an, an official release, but that was the second game developed. So Qbert was actually the second in-house game released uh, and the third developed. Um, prior to Qbert yeah, cracking out and really making a name for Gottlieb in the video game space, Gottlieb was mostly known for pinball prior to that. Is that right? 
Yeah, exactly. And Gottlieb was a little late. I mean, all the pinball makers, you know, uh, Williams and Valley, Stern, all of the pinball people in Chicago jumped on the video game bandwagon. But Gottlieb, I think, was the last one to do it. They were late to that game uh, for whatever reason. But uh, uh, yeah, we they jumped in and, and Qbert was a, you know, a great success for them. And still continues to be because I mean, if I'm yeah. really looking back on it, you know, I obviously uh, the the OG Cubert is is the one that that I first fell in love with, but it's far from the last Cubert related uh, thing. I remember watching, and this is something that you probably I don't know how much insight you Warren had into this one, but the um, I remember watching Cubert on Saturday Supercade back in the early '80s, which was like the first time that I'd sort of seen this nerdy hobby that I thought was just, you know, a a thing that I liked to do. And I I must've been the only one who really liked video games at the time, but then suddenly here's this video game character that's kind of making like inroads into like mainstream entertainment that was outside of the digital realm. And it was, I was super excited to see that. And I watched the hell out of the Saturday Supercade, hoping to catch those Qbert segments. Yeah. We used, we used to make fun of that a lot. (laughs) I imagine you probably did. (laughs) I mean, you know, we just thought it was a little ridiculous. I mean, we had absolutely no input into anything that they did with licensing. I mean, that was all like the marketing department and uh, look, you know, I was grateful. It just became part of the culture. Yeah. Well, I was grateful that, that it was a success and I was grateful that the marketing department jumped on it and licensed, you know, hundreds of products Uh, you know, just everything was out there. And then this, this, you know, Saturday morning cartoon came out. We were like, oh, my God. I mean, I, I was just hell? totally uh, taken taken aback by the success of the character. But, uh, you know, we would laugh at, at the cartoon because, first of all, he had arms. It's like, <laughs> where did those arms come from? We had, he had to wear that letter sweater because it was yeah, set in this right. weird, like, sort of retro 1950s thing where, where, where Coily became a, uh, like a greaser with a, with a leather jacket. And, you know, snakes yeah. don't have arms either, but he was somehow holding those shoulders up. And, you yeah. know, it kind of became like this almost Archie Happy Days thing, which I thought was a weird take on it. But whatever <laughs> visibility the character had, I thought, could only be good for, for keeping that, that uh, him in the forefront of the pop culture consciousness and sort of like going forward in perpetuity. Then you had things like, you know, the, the, the success of games and, of course, like Cubit Rebooted, which I still play on the xbox and and all that stuff just kind of kept him you know moving forward but that was one of the first times that i remember seeing a character that i could easily identify having played as that character on a on a, uh, a digital sort of setting seeing that crack out and, and be something different that was in in a, in a different pop culture context than what i was originally had come to him in well I, I would i would hate to have to be uh the guys who were tasked with putting this cubert cartoon together you know somebody somebody had to go up to these people and say look we're going to take this super popular video game and it's just this orange blob that uh, jumps around on on a pyramid of cubes turn it into a saturday morning cartoon and and i would hate to be the guy that has to go what the hell am i going to do oh all right i'll give him i'll give him arms and we'll make it a happy days i mean i they you know People, people accused me of being on drugs when I came up with Cubert. I, I think those guys must have been on some wacky drugs to come up with this Saturday morning Super Cake cartoon. Well, now, I mean, he's even a Disney princess, or at least he's appeared in a Disney movie uh, when he appeared in Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, any kind of t- anytime there's... And Pixels. A, well, and Pixels. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime there's mention of old school video game in pop culture Kibbert immediately did, recognizable characters everybody Kibbert can, can see and yeah. know exactly what they're talking about 
which is something you've made a, 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 a solid contribution to uh, pop culture. And it's, it's kind of a cool, I, I imagine it's a cool feeling. Goofy I, I sort of non-video game properties, notwithstanding, that's gotta be an incredibly gratifying thing to see that, that uh, this, this weird orange cat that jumps around in 3d cubes has had such a life beyond the original context. Well, it, it, it is, it is absolutely gratifying. However, what, what <laughs> keeps, what keeps me humble is, is the fact that, you know, He's not up there uh, with uh, Pac-Man or Donkey Kong or, or the Mario Brothers. You know, th those those other characters have gotten so much more uh, um, backing from their creators over the years. Kubert really just kind of fell by the wayside. It's there are hardcore Kubert fans, but there there are also thousands of people who never heard or heard of or saw Kubert before Wreck-It Ralph. You know, there's people who just he just wasn't in the pop culture as much. And even the way he was depicted in the movie as being this sort of dejected, sort of forgotten character. Well, it ties back uh, into your original concept of him as being pathetic anyway. Speaks to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, yeah, it, it's it is gratifying. Uh, of course, it's he's lasted beyond my wildest dreams. But, uh, you know, it's tempered by uh, <laughs> by the way he's lasted. <laughs> Uh, now, Shiloh, you were talking about, we were talking about uh, the overhaul cabinets. Why don't you talk a little bit about the Warren Davis edition of this new Qbert machine that you guys have put together? Yeah, so to be clear, it's not an overhaul. It's, you know, the overhaul is oh. a completely different concept. Special edition, my apologies. factory cab that's been out and we refurbished it and it might have cigarette burns and stuff like that, <laughs> right? Where the, where the uh, Warren Davis edition um, is actually Warren's uh, engineering um, prototype um, from Gottlieb, right? So um, this is a pre-production prototype. And Warren, actually, I don't know if I ever asked you, but I don't know. Did this one actually make it out into the test field? You know, I I do not know the answer to that. I don't know its history before I got it. Uh, it was an engineering sample, um, but I don't know if it was just used internally or if it was actually put out on test. I really don't know. Um, well, we do know that some cuberts with the swear word marquee did go out on test. I don't know if it had the, the same um, side art or not. Um, but with I've this seen I've seen a few of them uh, in pictures, and yeah, they're really rough. They got treated pretty poorly, I guess. And... Yeah, um, <laughs> that's how we learned about it is is by you know searching and looking through pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of, of cubert. Um, yeah, we have to we have to credit Tony Temple. Oh, I was just gonna get it to the absolutely <laughs> right, go ahead. credit Tony. Go Temple. ahead. I sorry to jump on you there. It's okay. Um, I forgive you, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> We're all friends here. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we found you know Tony Temple, the arcade blogger, does great work, really in depth, really accurate, and he did a a blog on on Warren's uh, product pre production prototype. And um, that's where we were like, hey, you know what? This could be a really great variant. I mean, we've been working on Qbert for 18 months um, prior to reaching out to Warren um, because, you know, we, we're, we're not that fast. We're, we're not fast at all, actually, because we try to get everything as, as, as accurate as we can. And that takes well, time. Serve no wine before it's time. You can't rush quality. 
You can't. So we we actually had about 18 months under our belts already. We got the knocker working. That was the biggest challenge. We could talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but for the variant, I was like, well, we could do an overhaul or, you know, we can do this prototype edition. And lo and behold, um, we reached out to Warren. He's just over the hill here in Los Angeles. And he was willing to, to work with us. And so we dug really deep into it. And um, we can go through some of the, the, the differences um, because it, it, it goes a little bit more than just artwork, but artwork would be the most obvious difference between yeah, the Yeah, we love minutia by all means. Yeah, so we could start at the top with the marquee, um, which the swear word marquee, um, I actually prefer it. I, I think it's just so funny. You know, I, I think it's so cool. So it's like, it's eye catching, which is kind of, the and it's point. got that, yeah, and, and it's got that air of mystery to it because it doesn't actually have the name on the marquee. Right. And, and, uh, you know, that's probably a, a good time for you to, to jump in here, Warren, and talk about what are we going to call this game? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. can't call it swear word bubble. Although at one time that's what it was going to be. Well, it, it was uh, it was the flight of fancy of Howie Rubin, who was our VP of business development. And Howie was definitely an out of the box thinker, uh, you know, not your typical executive at all, just kind of wacky guy. <laughs> and, uh, I had resisted giving the game a name because I was just, this is my first game. I, I was just trying to make a game. And to me, naming it was like some other process that had nothing to do with making the game. So I avoided it. But, uh, you know, as the game was kind of ready for get readying for production, we needed a name. And uh, how we came up with this idea, let's name it the, the cartoon balloon swearing. <laughs> and everybody in the company was like, that's nuts. What do you, wow, you, you can't be serious. That can't be the name of the game. He's like, why not? Uh, you know, uh, he also, by, he, by the way, he also suggested calling the game. Why me? That was a Howie Rubin suggestion. Why me? Um, that would definitely kinda, add to that pathetic nature of Kubert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I think we kind of shot that down, you know, and, uh, and we, we also said, well, if you call it this swearing balloon, how are people going to refer to it or talk about it? He goes, if the game is as good as I know it is, people will find a way. <laughs> um, so he, we, we, they made a, a, a bunch of these uh, swearing uh, marquees and put the game out on test with it. Uh, not a lot, not, not many, but it went out for a little bit. But I think then, uh, you know, better judgment took over and uh, and then we had to figure out exactly what to name the game. And that's a whole nother story. But uh, yeah, they, they did make a few swearing marquees. And so I got one of them. This particular cabinet uh, didn't come to me with the swearing marquee in it. I actually put it in once I got the cabinet at home. I have the original marquee as well. What the original, so you, you had that actual Kubert marquee in there originally? Uh, yeah, they put, I mean, the thing is, it's a Frankenstein. So they were constantly, yeah. you know, doing stuff to it. By the time I got this cabinet, it had a, it had a production marquee in it, um, which I took out and put in the swearing marquee immediately. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> I mean, if anybody's got the right to do that, I'd say it's you. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, so the marquee is, is definitely is definitely uh, interesting. And then, I mean, the bezel's actually different too. Um, 
the positioning of Hubert and, and some of the other characters is, is different than the production unit. Um, the control panel is way different. It has the actual hand drawn, looks like uh, early concept Hubert artwork and, and swear word bubble. Um, the front Ooh. of the, the control panel is actually production. <laughs> also, the, the rules are different uh, on the left side. Oh, that's right. The rules are different on the CP. That's right. Yep. And um, and then the, the side art um, is completely different. Uh, Warren, is there any story on the side art? I don't think we actually it, have ever talked about that. You're right. We haven't. It, there is a story, but it's very it's not a very exciting story. <clears throat> I think that is just maybe to you. That is just the generic <laughs> side art, I think, that came on this cabinet. I think it, uh, it's it was literally a generic cabinet, and that's just the side art that came with it. I, I believe, I mean, I can't swear to that 100%. I don't think anybody at Gottlieb uh, came up with that design. I think it just, it just came with the cabinet. And then uh, when we, of course, went into production, you know, uh, we got sides with with not either nothing on it or else we spray painted over it. It's just like a stencil, huh. I believe. Yeah, it is a stencil. Could we, we <clears throat> confirm that with you? So the way we're going to do the artwork on on um, Warren's prototype is actually a heat stamp instead of a, a vinyl decal, right? So it'll have that stencil, that textured feeling to it. That's actually already on the, the prototype uh, Warren has in his house right now. Me. Um, now the actual cabinet, actually, um, I always thought it was a godly dedicated cabinet because there was two games in it. I, I know Mad Planets and Hubert were both in that um, same cabinet, that exact same profiled cabinet. So it's interesting you say it was sort of a generic cabinet. I wonder where it was from originally. Any yeah, idea? I'm not. I'm not sure, and I I feel like we we uh, we did make adjustments to it because it's very different from the reactor cabinet you know yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the exact same as mad planets yeah I, yeah because that that was just easier <laughs> you know there i don't think <laughs> i i don't think they wanted to make a unique cabinet for every game i just think it it's it's easier from a manufacturing standpoint and cheaper to just keep the same profile. So I, I do remember having conversations about the cabinet design and, you know, the angle, it was things like the angle of the monitor to, to you know, and, and having that overhang uh, on the top so to try to prevent glare and, and things like that. Uh, I, I, I remember conversations that you, they didn't want a completely flat control panel where people would sit like drinks on it. So they, they, they gave it a little slope so you wouldn't do that um, to discourage that. Uh, you know, we had conversations about a little leaving a lip so you could put a quarter, so you could stick a quarter up against the glass, you know, to to mark your next, uh, that you're next in turn to play. That's amazing uh, that you guys talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, this, this was our, this was, this was our business. <laughs> All the little ergonomic things that you wouldn't necessarily think about as a player, but that you appreciate when you step up to that cabinet and start pumping quarters into it. Yeah. Well, you Absolutely. try, you try to make the best cabinet you can, but then, you know, of course you look at all of the different video games that came out thousands and thousands of video games and all of the different cabinet designs. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody had their own opinion. Um, you can't really say one was, you know, more right than another. You just, you did what, you know, you thought was best. 
Well, I think at one time, everybody was trying to outdo each other with the cabinet profiles and designs. And, and eventually it kind of went to what you were saying, Warren, is more of, uh, you know, what's the best economy of scale with manufacturing and that sort of stopped in, in the 90s. Um, another unique thing about um, the prototype cabinet is the coin door. And it actually has a Gottlieb raised letter coin door where the production units did not have that. So I think I love raised letter coin doors. I, th I think they're, they're, I mean, I'm a total dork, but I mean, I think they're really cool, right? And, you're in and safe company. Okay. Yeah, they, you, they, yeah they, you're yeah. definitely in good company there. So how, how much of a challenge is it to create something like a, a raised coin door in like in, in a reduced scale? Is that, does that produce like a, is it, is it a manufacturing challenge or a design thing that's, that's oh, I mean, more it's, uphill? It's just more work, right? So um, the raised coin door has always had sort of a, um, uh, a raw metal, you know, finish on, on the, um, on the, on the lettering and stuff like that. So we have to, you know, hand grind off the, um, the, the Gotley logo basically. So it's a little more work, but you know, and then we, but we it's those attention to details. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little extra work, but you know, definitely worth it. So, um, so, uh, you know, those are the actual, um, uh, design elements, I guess you could say that are, that are different on the cabinets. And then we're going to take it one step further um, with this cab where we're going to actually um, hand distress um, uh, along the bottom of Warren's cabinet, along the kick plate at the bottom, there's a, a lot of wear and tear. Um, we're, we're trying to capture a lot of the main scrapes and scratches and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, Warren actually had some promotional stickers on his cabinet too, which was some really cool artwork. And we're gonna uh, include those reproduction of those sti those stickers in six scale. And um, if, you know, if the, the, the customer wants to put them on, they can essentially. So it's, we're-, <laughs> we're Why wouldn't they? they? Come on, they want, they want they? it to be authentic. Right? Exactly. Be authentic and, and we're even gonna, we're, we decided we're even going to reproduce the moving sticker, Warren. Oh, fantastic. That <laughs> makes me so happy. I'm serious. That's because that sticker has been on there since the cabinet was moved from Chicago to Los Angeles in 1996. See? So, it's got a story yeah. behind it. It's got to be in there. It's got to be. There. It's literally, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't have the heart to take it off. I mean, it's, it's literally just feels like it's part of the cabinet now. We can't and now we'll be going now. <laughs> That's really so make cool. Sure you don't do, that. do you? I mean, do do you want to see the the original? I I can try to pop my camera out. It's a little difficult, and if I get disconnected, uh, I apologize. But I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can actually pop my camera out. Oh, here we go. Uh oh, we're moving. Here we go. All right. Hey, this. Oh wow! There she is. This is nice. this is the real, the actual thing here. I can't, I can't get too close to it, but um, uh, oh, oh, no. oh we uh, lost the video. All right, I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back. <laughs> that is fantastic. But I can see what you were talking about about the um, sort of the uh, 
general issue generic uh, side panels there with with just sort of like the starburst graphics on them. That was uh, that's that's super interesting to me. And anything that's like you know, Charlie, you were talking a minute ago about like how granular do you want to get with this? That is, the, I, I really live for just kind of like hearing exactly that responsible for these kind yeah. of things. Just talk about kind of why think why decisions were made, where certain things came from. It's it's just it's endlessly fascinating to me to just be able to, to hear those stories of, of the of the genesis of things that that most people who aren't a diehard, you know, uh, obsessive compulsive nerd wouldn't necessarily want to think about too hard. Yeah, it, I mean, it's time to to do these things now. You know, yeah. we're we're lucky we're in this time right now, and we're so happy to be working with um, with Warren and getting all his input, and it, it's just a real blessing. And uh, when Warren comes back, we will want to talk about one more difference between the two cabinets. No, we got and, Warren back. He's good. I think I'm back. I'm back. All right. All right. All right. There he is. There he is. Thanks for showing the cabinet, Warren. Yeah, it's it's Fantastic. interesting to see it next to the T2 cab. It is so much smaller. That's another cabinet I dumped yes. a lot of quarters into as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, those, you're going to have to ask Warren about some of the other games that he's worked on because he's worked on some really cool stuff. Yeah. Those, yeah. And, and, you know, you you were talking earlier about how, you know, making a little, you know, the, the one-sixth scale uh, for collectors is great. And, and I have to tell you, as somebody who, you know, owns these two uh, particular full-size arcade games, it's not fun. Moving they up so much no. space. Yeah, they are. They take up a lot of room and they are very heavy. This is going to be great for the listeners in a, in a, a audio only medium, but that's, that's the reason why I do stuff like this. You know, these guys here, these are obviously not as well built as Shiloh's stuff, but you know, if you're looking for, just a sort of like a, a portable pocket cool. cuber that you can have in your house. It's not going to take up a ton of space. This yeah. is kind of the kind of thing you're working with. But so it's really nice to know that like that, obviously this here's wonderful sounds, you know, um, <clears throat> that, that, that Shiloh's coming out with this cabinet, because if you want something that's a little bit better than like a toy quality, if you want a collectible, if you want something you can invest in, then it's really nice to be able to, to have that. If you don't have the space to put the, the full-size arcade cabinet like uh, like I've got behind me and like Warren has right over there. If you don't have the space for that, you, you got to be able to, like Shiloh said, sort of like scratch that itch and just be able to, to achieve that experience without having to uh, to build a wing onto your house just to store all of your furniture. Right. And again, with that level of detail and that construction quality that New Wave Toys has now made there, you guys have made your bones on that. And that's, I think, why a lot of people are so enamored with the products that you put out is because you have this you, you made the freaking moving sticker i mean that attention to detail is freaking <laughs> awesome i love that kind of thing I, and, I have to say also you know uh i've seen a lot of those all like little mini cuber cabinets uh but seeing yeah, these are super cute seeing yeah they're, they're lovely you know but mm-hmm. seeing this realistic uh, I'm going to pull it up here. Seeing yeah. this realistic of, of, of my cabinet, especially, <laughs> uh, it's it's insanity. It's just made it's, it's it with blows that side art that we just looked at on the full size cabinet. I don't know how to process it. I actually, when they gave <laughs> me this, I I put it, you know, on a table in front and took like side by side pictures. It, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's so rem- and this is just the prototype. I had tons of notes that I gave him about minutia that they're they're improving so but even in this state it is so close and amazingly realistic um i've, n- I've never seen anything like it so it's pretty phenomenal 
Well, geez, thanks, you guys. That's very humbling. <laughs> um, I'm, seriously, thank you. And, and it's so awesome to hear, especially from Warren. No offense to you guys, but uh, oh, I mean, God, no. he is the creator. He's the guy, uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, yes, and, and all those things have led to the aftermarket prices, which are obviously ridiculously high. But at the same time, if you happen to have the cabinets, you have an investment. And, uh, you know, God forbid you need to sell something, you can make some money off it. Over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's, a, here's another fun little segue. Something else we wanted to talk to you about. Uh, speaking of, of uh, Gottlieb's history as a, uh, as a pinball house, kind of before Kubert uh, jumped on the scene in a very literal sense. Um, I don't know. We can cut this out if you'd rather not talk about it, Shiloh, but we've been hearing rumblings about some, uh, some possible pinball recreations coming out of New Wave, and, and we wanted to, to kind of get, uh, get a, a little bit of a whatever you're able to tell us or, or want to tell us about what your plans might be coming up for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, we've been looking at several different pinball options for a couple of years now and really deciding where we want to go with it. Um, interesting thing, and, and actually just on the subject, I, I've been meaning to ask Warren about this, but the Qbert pinball machine, and I'm not avoiding your question, I just, I just, you just got me <laughs> thinking about no, that. please. Warren, did you have anything to do with the Qbert pinball machine? And do you know I, much about it? What was happening with that development? Did they work with you guys? No, I, I had absolutely nothing to do about it. I, I knew that it was under development. The designer of it was uh, John Trudeau, who's a very classic, uh, you know, legend as far as being a, a pinball designer. Uh, he's designed many, you know, popular games for Gottlieb. Uh, and uh, so I felt it was in good hands. I, I didn't, I, I didn't, and I still don't know anything about pinball design, uh, but he took you know, he just took the what he saw from the game and ran with it. And I believe, you know, the sounds are right out of the uh, uh, the Cubert arcade game. But uh, other than that, it was uh, completely uh, John's design. Yeah, I had nothing to do with it. But it was a, again freaky to see a Cubert uh, a Cubert pinball machine. Um, I, I I try to play it if I can ever find it. It's a, it seems to be fairly rare, so I don't I see it around one. a lot. There, there is one I played. I have played the Cubert's Quest pinball machine. They're, they have one, or at least they did at the time, at the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. That's where I saw it, and I, I spent about 20 minutes with it, and it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, so if you yeah. ever, ever you know want to want to jump over a couple of states and, and pop over to Vegas, I, I remember seeing and playing one there very distinctly. Uh, just you, you mentioned that I've never been to that pinball hall of fame in Vegas. I, I will go there next time I do go to Vegas. Great. I want to check it out. Have you guys been to the, the pinball art? It's now closed sadly, but the, the pinball um, museum in Banning, California. I have not. Um, I, I have no. a number of times and it's uh, it, I would say it's on a par with the pinball uh, museum in Las Vegas. It's, it's a, uh, it might even be bigger, but it, it was just because it was massive size room after room. It's like multiple yeah. rooms, you know, the pinball uh, and, and I haven't been to the pinball one in Las Vegas in a few years. But as I recall, it was it was a, basically in one massive room. I don't know if it's moved or not. Yeah. It's like a warehouse, or at least it was last time I was there. It looked like it was uh, like an airplane hangar, or like an old grocery store. They just put rows and rows of machines into. Exactly, exactly. And and the one in Banning is very similar, but there are multiple rooms. There's some bigger rooms, some smaller rooms, and they have uh, 
my God, pinball games throughout the decades, uh, very old uh, machines from the turn of the century, uh, not this century, last century. Uh, and uh, they have video games. They have tons, tons of video games. I saw one of my rarest games, Exterminator, there and played it uh, in Banning. And uh, man, it was uh, it was a blast from the past. So, yeah, I, if anybody has the opportunity and I know it is closed, that's a shame. But yeah. if there are any events there and you have an opportunity to go, I'd go. Now, is it permanently closed or are they just doing like a uh, waiting out COVID sort of thing? I, I don't know, honestly. And and I heard rumors from some friends that it was it was supposed to be moving to Palm Springs. And then that fell through uh, because, wow, yeah. that would have been amazing if it had moved to Palm Springs. So yeah. I don't know. It's supposed to move into an old uh, newspaper printing uh, warehouse or something in Palm Springs, which I agree would be would have been amazing. But as of right now, uh, I we've been following it pretty close and it seems it's closed down and it's going to turn into a weed uh, growing <laughs> facility. Oh, Hey, California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, hopefully it resurfaces and he opens up in Palm Springs because it's quite the collection of pinball machines. Um, Are they going to be growing weed in the pinball machine? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> new high score. <laughs> new meaning to the word high score. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's funny. We, we actually did a social post to, to our community letting everybody know it was closing. And a lot of people were like, what's the problem? Weed and pinball? It's a great mix. <laughs> I mean... It's pretty funny. Pinball wizard has to be a twist. Well, that's uh, whatever you guys wind up doing on the pinball front. Obviously, we, you know, you've like we have alluded to several times throughout the course of this conversation, the amount of uh, reputation and goodwill that you've built up with just the, the, the incredible quality and attention detail you guys put into everything, whatever you wind up to. See, we're mostly curious, I guess, uh, Saint and I. Physics wise. Up, physics wise because there's so much of that pinball experience is about the weight of the ball like the distance traveled and how it reacts to the flippers and whatnot so being able to sort of miniaturize that i I, i'm not envious of whatever it is you guys decide to do because i know whatever you do it'll be great but it's it's got to be such a challenge to think about trying to make those things uh to put the same level of authenticity and attention to detail and you do everything if you're if you're talking about something that's so dependent upon upon scale to be able yeah, to actually work. I, well, I think there's two things with, with pinball. One, we would like to be a, a miniaturized mechanical pinball machine, oh, not goodness. a digital screen. Right. I mean, that would be, that would be the, the, the Holy grail would That'd be incredible, but uh, not easy. Right. No, I mean, no. it, um, you know, look at anybody who scaled down a pinball machine. They're all now a digital play field machine. Yeah. Right that are out there um so you know uh there is digitalization um but uh, you know as far as pure gameplay goes that's probably the closest we'd be able to get is doing digital versions and trying to add in some haptic uh, feedbacks and stuff like that right um uh but uh, i mean i wish we could make uh you know, make fully mechanical. Um, God, can you imagine that'd be something, but I mean, I have to imagine oh, that the, the cost on that would be alarming. And, and sort of being cost. able to, to, to develop the, the Twitch mechanics to be able to get out like a, a ball bearing size pinball to be able to, to react properly would be a, right. Uphill right. And that's the thing. I mean, it, it's not going to react properly. 
So no matter, you know, you copy all the magnet placements and, you know, all the little mm. tricks and everything, it's, it's still not going to play like the original machine. You know, it, it's a tough, tough thing to do. Um, so, you know, we, we did a, we did a survey a, a, a few weeks ago. We wanted to, to hear from the community on, on what pins they would like to see if we, if, you know, if, and when we do them and, um, it, it's pretty much in line, you know, the results are pretty much in line with um, the, the pinball machines that I personally like the most, which was good news to me, which is, you know, the, the classic Bali Williams tables. Yeah. You know, those are the most meaningful to me and also the best looking actual, um, you know, tables and cabinets. Right. So again, it's, it's not just about, you know, the playing field and, back glass it's about the side art and you know everything else that goes along with with the pinball actual uh, cabinet so it's just such an experience i agree yeah. uh, but you know we have to have them you know any uh any arcade should have at least a few pinball machines so stay tuned for more information i absolutely will like with bated breath and wallet ready <laughs> so um well, is there anything uh on the horizon that you can announce uh, i mean we t we talked about the uh, the uh, the Cubert drop, and as of airing of this podcast, uh, it's going to be uh, there's a few days left to pre-order. Uh, you can go to New Wave yep. Toys to do that. I highly recommend doing that before you are forced to see how bloody awesome these things are, and then have to go to the secondary market to try and find it because you didn't jump on it. So. Uh, do you have anything uh, on the horizon past that that you could talk about? Or well, I would I would urge people to to pre-order just because you get mm -hmm. the best deal and you're going to get shipped first and you get guaranteed. I can't remember what the uh, what was the acronym. <laughs> Make sure you get it. Or oh, fear FOMO. Of fear, of miss, it? fear of missing out. Yeah. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Yes, you, you don't want that. Um, so you know, pre-ordering is a win-win for both of us. Um, you know, you get the best deal. And um, it, it uh, you know, it's good for us too. And um, uh, after Qbert, it is going to be the next release after 1943. Um, and then um, we also have a previously released, uh, 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 sorry, announced game, which is Missile Command, which, which will be coming out shortly after that. Oh my gosh. In the coming weeks, we have some more information on. Uh, we've been working on it for a while. We wanted to improve on our original trackball, and I think we've done that. So we're pretty excited to talk about the trackball. Uh, trackball XL, we call it. It is a larger trackball um, on Missile Command. And we have um, some pretty interesting uh, features and stuff like that that I think you guys are really going to like with Missile Command. So I can't wait. Uh, we, got some, we got some deep, deep, deep things we're doing. And uh, I just wanted to just go back to Qbert quickly and uh, talk about uh, one more in interesting um, thing about the, the two cabinets. Sure. And that's the knocker that Gottlieb built in the uh, pinball uh, knocker coil into the, into the Qbert games. And I'll let uh, Warren tell the story behind that. And uh, because I always thought it was just like, you know, it was some engineer there was like, hey, you know what? We got pinball knocker coils. Let's just put it in there. When he dies, we'll make it pop. Right. But it's actually a little bit more in depth than that. And there's actually a difference between 
the the knocker and and Warren's uh, pre-production prototype versus what was put out on, into the uh, mass production units. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it, actually, it's not much deeper of a story. You were pretty close. Uh, there was <laughs> there was an engineering tech at Gottlieb who, who who had the idea to put the knocker in the cabinet, and and I thought it was a great idea. So uh, we went ahead and did that and I programmed it in. But the, the problem for me was that the knocker made a knocking sound, like somebody knocking <laughs> on a door. And, and the sound that I was looking for was like a, a thud, like a body falling and hitting the ground. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, we brainstormed a little bit, tried to figure out what we could do to maybe soften the sound. And we had the idea of putting in a little piece of foam, little foam rubber, uh, they, they came at the end of these tubes that integrated circuits would come in these plastic tubes with a little foam at the end. And so we tried it. We put a little foam uh, on the cabinet where the, the piston would hit the cabinet. And it did. It softened the sound, you know, just enough that, it, it you know, it, it just sounded better to me. So we were very excited. We went to management and said, oh, yeah, we want to do this. And they, and they were like, well, yeah, we can do the knocker. But uh to, to have somebody go in and glue the foam in this exact spot. It's a, they just, they said, that's going to be too labor intensive. We can't do that. And so no foam. So it went out with the knocker with no foam and you hear a knock. And that's, so even though it's, everybody <laughs> loves that feature. People think it's a very cool feature. Uh, I think it's a cool feature, but unfortunately I'm, I am cursed with the knowledge of how much better it, it sounded with the foam. And, and I have to say that uh, I have put the foam into my personal cabinet, uh, you know, just because I thought it was better. I've always encouraged people who own Kubrick cabinets to do that and just try to soften that sound a little and get it to be more like a, a thud. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody has, but uh, <laughs> I've done it on my cabinet here. <laughs> That's such a fun story because, I mean, to, to be in, in 1982, to be thinking about force feedback and making that sort of like a yeah. haptic thing with like, I mean, now they're still working on it with like rumble things and shaking things in the hand controllers and whatnot, but to be that forward thinking and that ahead of your time to be able to put something in there like that. Um, that's just, again, one of those things that just really set that cabinet apart back in the day for me was there that extra element of, of, uh, sort of real world sensation that came along with you screwed up and not only is he going to swear at you, but you're also going to, uh, to feel that thud when he drops into oblivion. You know, and that's just such a such a wonderful thing that and well, I'll tell you for my quarter, I, I, I this is totally out of context, but I had to get this in um, I, for, for, for my quarter. There is no better feeling in the world than timing your jump onto the flying disc just right to watch Coily drop into oblivion, watching that purple bastard jump off the pyramid and just drop into the void. 500 points and it you know just the, the feeling you got from that of just yeah you because know, it was the only really defense you had outside of avoiding him you could just wait until he was chasing you and then just jump off and, and watch him plummet to his death that was such a satisfying thing back in the day and I, I i had to sneak that in somewhere because those those little things are what really made that such a great experience back in the day and still is and and since you're talking about the flying discs uh one of the things we haven't talked about at all up until now is the inclusion of faster, harder, more challenging Qbert into the replicate version. So like you actually harder. Pardon? I said like it needs to be harder. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> For some people it did. So uh you know faster, harder, more challenging Qbert was sort of like the souped up version that I made literally right after Qbert went into the production lines. 
because we were getting some some feedback that people were playing it for hours on a single quarter. Now that's oh, generally that's bad for the bottom that's, line. That's generally <laughs> not good news. Now it, it didn't hurt Kubert in the long run because there it was a very small percentage of people who were capable of doing that. But it it the news got back to me and I started freaking out a little bit because I was worried that it was really going to hurt the game in the long run. And, and plus, I had been encouraged by management to keep making it easier. Like I had it tuned a certain way and they were like, no, it's too hard. It's too hard. You got to make it fast. You got to make it slower. You got to make it easier. And so I kept pushing back and making it easier and easier. Uh, and then I said, all right, well, no, I want to make it, I want to go back and, and make it closer to my original tuning. So I, I just tuned everything faster, but I also uh, made the rounds progress differently. So uh, just even changing the colors of the cubes became more challenging. And the other thing that we changed was rather than the cubes being stat, uh, the uh, discs being static uh, in faster, harder, more challenging cube, but the discs move. So they'll sit wow. in a spot and then there'll be a little flash of something and they'll jump up to the, to the higher row and they cycle. So there are unlimited uh, unlimited discs, but they cycle and you have to time your jumps. So uh, anyway, so uh, when, when Shiloh came to me asking about doing my cabinet, I mentioned to him, I said, well, you know, I, Faster, Harder, More Challenging Cubert never got released officially. Mm. Uh, in 1997, when I heard about the main project and that they had emulated Cubert, uh, I happened to work with somebody at Disney. I was working for Disney at the time. Uh, I, I, I worked with somebody who knew those guys who were developing the emulators. So I gave him the ROM images for Faster, Harder, More Challenging Cupid, and they included it. So uh, it's been available to the public since 1997. But uh, I've had that in my cabinet pretty much exclusively since 1983 when I developed it. Uh, so I said, if you're going to make a, a, an authentic replica of my cabinet, you probably want to include faster, harder, more challenging Cubert, and they have. So you can switch between original, faster, harder, more. You can do that. They're both there. They're both available. Well, like Kev just said, like it needed to be harder. Usually the time when I was reaching <laughs> in my pocket for more quarters was, was uh, I don't remember what level it was, but it was once you started having to jump on each cube twice. That's when he started to really eat my lunch. That was that happens a lot sooner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I usually had to tap out after that. That was when I was like, you know what? This has been fun, I, but I, I only have so much lunch money. <laughs> and so uh, you've incorporated that in the cabinet. So did you, you, you said you incorporated the knocker as well. Yeah. It, well, yeah. So um, both games are, are fully playable. All dip switch test settings. Everything is, is going to be included for both, both, both titles. And with the knocker, um, working with Warren, um, was just, you know, we were a little bit worried that we didn't have a, a powerful enough, um, solenoid in our machine because obviously it's scaled down quite a bit from mm -hmm. a, a pinball knocker. Right. But, um, after learning about, it's actually supposed to be the sound of Hubert or, or Coily hitting the, hitting the ground, hitting, hitting the bottom of the cabinet are, um, smaller um, solenoid actually is doing a really good job of mimicking how it should sound. So we're really happy about that. And, um, you know, that's confirmed by, by Mr. Warren Davis. So 
Yeah. That's, that's really good news for us. <laughs> well, anything that gets a thumbs up from, uh, from the man responsible is, is uh, I think probably an, an awesome innovation. Well, yeah. And, and like I said, I, I, I'm super looking forward to this and, and, and now I'm going to have to, as they say in the industry, I'm going to have to get good uh, because <laughs> I'm going to have to play that uh, the harder, faster Hubert and, and learn how to, up my game, which is fun for a game that's been out quite as long as it's been out to have a, a new kind of challenge uh, sprinkled in there and just and have it be not just something that was like an afterthought, but have it be something that, that you design and it was designed for uh, for this actual thing. It, it's really kind of neat to have that as a again, we keep talking, we keep hiring back to the the level of detail and the and the. Uh, the just idiotic amount of just just eye teeth detail and and I'd love that and 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 again for my money that's 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 why I'm here that's why I keep coming back that's why I'll keep coming back and well, uh, if you're concerned about the difficulty uh, in either faster harder more challenging Hubert or the original they've they've also got incorporated into it the all of the original operator settings. So you can go into the operator settings and make it easier that way. That's, that's something that's actually been in every Cuber cabinet since they've been created. You, if you go into the operator settings, there's a, an easier, there are, I think, five difficulty levels. So there's normal, easy, easier, hard, and harder. You can also change the uh, score level at which you get bonus Cuberts. So by reducing that, you will get extra lives much more quickly. So there are a lot of uh, ways to make it easier. If you're finding it too difficult, you know, have at it. Go in there, go to the operator settings, make it easier. See, and so that's like, the, how, oh, no, go ahead. Depending on how many quarters, <laughs> exactly how many quarters any given arcade operator wanted to suck out of your pockets when you were coming up, then they could just go in and, and, uh, so, and I remember that I do, because I would play any, any, any place or any time I saw a Cubert cab, I would step up. And I, 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 as a kid, didn't necessarily know that you could go in and mess with the dip switches. But I remember thinking, I'm usually better than this when I would hit certain cabinets. <laughs> and certain, like, wait a minute. I can usually get to at least level two or three out of a single quarter. And now he's just absolutely eating my lunch. What is going on here? So that's, that's, this is the kind of thing we do this for us. So we can hear these, you know, right from the source stories about how, how things are uh, just, minutiae variations and all that stuff it's just so gratifying to hear that you know that and then it wasn't me that. because i kicked my own ass no. for years about that like like have i fallen you. down this badly that uh, that i can't uh, i'm getting maybe you know two or three minutes out of a quarter i used to be able to play at least you know five or six well let's face it jim it it, it might have been you <laughs> it's you <laughs> you know what i'll take it i will take it uh, it made me think of when you were talking about the difficulty settings, it's uh, back in the day when you ever played like the old Doom games or like the Wolfenstein games. It's like you get normal and you can get really hard and you get even harder. But then when you your little face, the character face, uh, every time you get into the, the easier modes, he, turn, he turns into a baby. He's got a pacifier and a, Nightmare and a bonnet on and. It's like that's what it made me think of. Is like, so no, I'm not going to change the difficulty. Damn it, I'm going to well, get good. Difficulty settings, even get as, good. Uh, obviously, difficulty settings are are not a, a new thing. We're talking about dip switches on a cabinet from 1982. But just recently, in the last, I'd say maybe two weeks, I read a story on Kotaku. I think it was where uh, Xbox put out a uh, a tweet because of this whole. This, this resistance in the community, these gatekeepers, these get good types who are like, you know, if you're not playing it on nightmare difficulty, you're not really playing the game. Xbox took a stand on that. They put out a tweet 
uh, that sent ripples through the community for some reason saying beating the game on the easiest difficulty is still beating the game. Um, which I don't know. I mean, obviously video gaming is less, much less of a niche hobby than it used to be when I was a kid pumping quarters into Qbert. But um, to, to have one of the, uh, the sort of driving forces in the industry come out and, and opine that, to put that out there and say, hey, you know what? We want this to be a, a hobby for everybody. We want everybody to, be, to have that same sense of accomplishment and that, that feeling of gratification of jumping off the, the pyramid and, and, and sending Coily to his doom. You're, you're not missing anything. We're not going to hold you to that, that impossible standard of unless you're playing it on the, the hardest difficulty, you're not really doing it. So that was a nice thing to see, but obviously this, this, uh, the difficulty setting thing was, was something that it, it goes back a long way further than maybe people besides Shiloh and Warren would even remember. Another setting you can do is endless lives. Oh, <laughs> just play to your fingers. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll finally see the kill screen one of these days then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's the one we use when we're testing. <laughs> it's a, believe me Probably that's a best. very if, if you're a video game designer that's a very handy setting to have because <laughs> i i'd say very few video game designers can play as well as the players out there can i am immortal <laughs> God that, mode. that's interesting that the, the designers can't play as well as the as the players well if i remember right i remember reading somewhere that that's why the first cheat codes to sneak out into the wild were because of uh developers like the konami code the famous konami code and, and things of that ilk were because people were the developers just needed to to sort of debug and get through without having to worry about you know catching bullets in their face every three or five seconds just right so wasn't that the impetus as, behind the game genie as well it was kind of a developer tool to kind of uh they yeah, sort of and to made jury rig the code yeah yeah, and that was the cheat codes. That was what that came from, was just developers needing to be able to to go in and not have to worry about having the same consequences as the players were, to be able to uh, to find any any little bugs or any any fillips in the in the experience that that maybe they wouldn't have been able to find had they not, you know, turned on the the impenetrable armor of the character. See, that's interesting. I didn't know that before. So, see, I, we're learning I things learn. today. I learned something today too. I didn't really put that <laughs> together myself. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we don't want to eat up too much of your time, gentlemen. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to, to bring us, uh, Warren? Any other little tidbits or stuff you're working um, on you want people to know about? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, the one thing that I've got coming up, uh, other than being very happy that the sort of the retro gaming shows are coming back and, and I yeah. hope to be going to some, yes. I'll be going to one uh, in uh, Columbus, Ohio in October uh, Korg's con I'll be there and, uh, you know, trying to line up some others. Uh, I've got a couple lined up for next year as well, but, uh, you know, always, always love to go out and meet people and see the fans. Uh, also I, I actually have a, a memoir, which, which I wrote Ooh. a couple of years ago and I started to self publish right before the pandemic. But, uh, during the pandemic, I, I reached out to some publishers and found a publisher who wanted to publish it. So uh, it's getting sort of a revamp and a re-release uh, this fall. Uh, nice. So the book will be called uh, Creating Qbert and Other Classic Video Arcade Games uh, by Amazing. me. Uh, it's something, uh, just tell, it, basically I collected all of the stories I tell when I give talks. There, I just found there were so many stories uh, because not only it's not just Qbert, but also, you know, us, us versus them, uh, which is, I think, a much more interesting story than, than the development of Qbert, uh, the laser disc game, us versus them. And then, of course, all my time at Williams, 
uh, where I worked on uh, the, the digitizing system. I created a digitizing system so you could digitize actors. And that was used for NARC and Mortal Kombat, NBA Jam. Uh, and then I was on the team for uh, Terminator 2 and Revolution X with Aerosmith. So I have stories I love about that game. hanging we with Aerosmith. And, you know, so the, fantastic. It's um, it really it just covers the, you know, the almost uh, 15 years that I was making arcade games. And uh, there's a lot of stories. I think uh, people might enjoy it. I hope they do. So it's coming out this fall. Creating Cubert and other classic video arcade games. That well, will be, be a must read for my I'll fall. I'll be picking videos. one up myself. So, <laughs> so Warren, we buy Warren's book, buy Shiloh's cabinets. If you know nothing else, that buy buy these guys' stuff because they're out well, there working their butts off for your entertainment. Well, or buy Warren's book from Shiloh's website. Yes. Okay. The best of both worlds. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Uh, well, uh, Shiloh, Warren, I want to thank you both for, for coming on the podcast today. It's been an absolute dream. Uh, I, I, Shiloh, we've talked a couple times now. I absolutely love it every time. And uh, uh, maybe down the road uh, towards development of the new uh, fresh ideas, we'll, uh, we'll talk again. Well, you, yes, My pleasure. Uh, Great to talk to you guys. Thank you guys so much for your time and all the wonderful stories. And can't wait to pick up the stuff you got coming out. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thanks a lot for having us, guys. Have a great day. Our pleasure. Thank you. Holy shit. Uh, You know, understatement of the century. I wish I had something more uh, uh, effusive to say. I wish I had something a little bit more flowery and prosy to say, but holy shit. As that excited cool. as I was to have that conversation, I was not prepared for how cool those guys were. I mean, obviously we knew how cool Shiloh was already, but the fact that he brought one of his friends out to play and Warren turned out to be such a, full full of great stories and just an, an all-around amazing guy. I, you know, it's always nice when you meet your heroes and they don't disappoint you. And boy, that's a 10 out of 10 today. Absolutely. And I think that's been a recurring theme we were talking about with the, like the celebrity episodes and things like that. We talk about the people that don't disappoint and... And it's really neat to have, uh, I mean, like I said, I wouldn't talk so uh, much about New Wave Toys if it wasn't something that I completely backed, something that I thought was not only worth the money, but worth your time, worth the space on your knickknack shelf, whatever you're going to do with it, because they do such quality, reputable work. And when I heard they were doing a Kubert cabinet, I was all in. I mean, the company might call them, he calls it New Wave Toys, but let's be honest. I mean, these are, they're, they're toys only to the extent that you can play with them and that they are, uh, you know, a, a great time. The, the the build quality on these things, the attention to detail, again, I don't mean to harp on that so much, but it just can't be overstated. They're, they're, these are not toys like you think of toys. These are absolute enthusiast collectibles. Works of art. No kidding. You're, you're not even, zero hyperbole on that one. And one of my favorite parts of the conversation, we were talking to Shiloh about all the new innovations that they're doing with these cabinets. And one of the things, like we mentioned, is they're doing these overhaul cabinets with the different uh, uh, distressing and and lived-in kind of feeling for these things. And that alone got me sold on, like, the Asteroids machine and the 1943 machine. And and just to hear that they were doing a different kind of special edition with Warren Davis's approval, I don't... Just talking to him about the level of detail that they went through to get this right is stunning to me. Absolutely This is why they are the best at what they do. Hands down, it's just, it's not even close. And this is why my wallet opens up and uh, my money flies out whenever I see that they've got a product release. And so 
Uh, also really cool that he gave us the 411 on the missile command. I'm looking forward to that. I'd like to I see mean, they've already got the trackball ball machine out, and I know this, it's a sore spot for you because you're still on the hunt for that centipede cabinet. A but, little bit. I mean, the, uh, the, the the whole trackball thing. I mean, to be able to, to create a trackball game that, that functions as well as theirs do and to do it on, on, on a, a one six a, scale. A reduced scale like that, yeah. I mean, it's... These guys, you know, there's, they're, they're, they, left, they left their mess around pants in the closet. They're just so great at what they do. Right, and so, like I said, I get real giddy and geeky and nerdy, and, and that's what this pod, podcast is really all about, is being this geeky, nerdy, happy, effusive self because, you know, you get to see, in this particular case, it's like I usually like talking to people about what they're nerdy about and getting to see the, the light in their eyes and the shine and the, and the happiness and the excitement. And this time, again, like I said with last time, this was all for me. This is, you guys get to see that kind of excitement in me and, and hear the, uh, the, the, the tone of my voice and the, and the way I carry myself like a fucking giddy school child. Uh, this is my jam. This is exactly what I'm into. And to have uh, such wonderful guests uh, to represent that fandom for me is just out of this world. Out of How this world. often do you get a chance to talk to people who are responsible for so much happiness and so much uh, warm memories of entertainment in childhood? I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't even want to make a ballpark estimate as to how many dollars and quarters I pumped into Cubert machines all throughout <laughs> my youth and and still do whenever I see one it's just one it's it's my all-time favorite uh classic golden age arcade stand-up cabinet game and and it's uh, to be able to, to talk to those guys about um like you just said about the attention to detail and about all the stories that went into it it's just I mean we have some moments on this podcast that are that are very very uh you know favorite moments of mine but i think this one is uh it has got to be definitely up there with, with all the it's just magical when you get to do this it's, what how, how often do you get to say that you got to talk to somebody who was that responsible for for something that huge and, and that yeah that massive in your upbringing yeah it's absolutely. just a great experience absolutely and so uh like i said if you guys want to order one of these cabinets they are still on pre-order as of the uh, airing of this the first airing of this episode uh, Friday the 23rd. Uh, I believe that's the 23rd, isn't it? I'm going to look at my calendar. I want to make sure what I'm talking about. Yes, as of... So if you guys want, uh, as I said, uh, Friday the 23rd, as of the release of this episode, there's still a few days left on that pre-order. Head to newwavetoys.com and get yourself one of these before they sell out. And let me tell you, folks, they sell out. These things they are... Do are a limited quantity they are beautifully built rendered in excruciating detail and, and as just, we talked about in the actual meat and potatoes of the podcast you do not want to be at the mercy of the secondary market for looking for one of these things if you're at all interested in it pick Jesus it up now and, and while you oh it's it's crazy and while you're at newwavetwice.com it looks like uh, shiloh's also given warren a platform to sell his memoir uh, so yeah, definitely pick those up, pick them yeah, up, support, absolutely. support your heroes, support the people that create the things you love. Absolutely. And, uh, again, speaking of support, we are, we're moving forward with our charity fuel the future. We have the Venmo set up at fuel your fandom on Venmo. Uh, you can find us there, label any donations that you send, uh, specifically that this is for the fuel the future. And, uh, we've got a, a really talented, uh, graphic designer right now working on uh, getting the uh the p's and q's and i's and t's crossed and dotted and, and i'm looking forward to uh sharing that with all of you and uh getting that charity ball rolling i mean we've already got some donations come in which we're super thankful for but uh we want to get 
uh, reading materials and comics into the hands of, of those who are uh, less fortunate and not able to afford it. And that's kind of uh, kind of what we're looking for. So uh, if you guys have any suggestions as to far as uh, places that might be uh, willing to uh, be sponsors for this and, and allow us to put flyers up, uh, that'd be great. Uh, hit us up at FuelYourFandom at gmail.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on the Facebook group. Again, it is Fuel Your Fandom at... Nope, sorry. You can also hit us up on the uh, Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. And FYFTalentBooking at gmail.com is always a great place to hit us up as well. And, of course, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts, which is probably where you find us today. But, you know, if it's a podcast portal, we're there. But the latest and greatest episode is always up at FuelYourFandom.BuzzSprout.com. And if you're impatient, as I can be, that is where you're going to want to go look for this. (laughs) Absolutely. And so from us to you, we want to thank you for listening again. We want to thank uh, Shiloh and Warren again for... uh, hanging out with us this afternoon and just giving us an earful of wonderful and uh, uh, on behalf of us we want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast and remember what I always tell you everything is fandom and fandom is everything take care